Spurgeon, I'm trying to adapt to change right now. <laughs> Uh, and this is Gina Sharp, um, and on uh, behalf of both of us, I'll, I'll just express our delight at, at being here with all of you. As many of you uh, perhaps were registered for the initial retreat that was meant to happen this weekend with Ruth Dennison, and then um, Ruth unfortunately uh, fell and uh, broke her hip and uh, needed time just to recover and I hear she's doing very very well which is great um, and it you know it, it happened that uh, Gina and I were both able to step in for this particular time frame and and uh, do the weekend so here we are uh, and it, it's great to see all of you how is traffic getting here okay Labor Day weekend um, and aside from this new microphone, uh, it's, it's always a, a tremendous delight for me to come back here and, and to be able to teach here and just be in, in this environment. In this particular retreat, um, in addition to sort of the sense of immersion into the practices of sitting meditation and walking meditation, uh, we're also going to be offering some uh, optional yoga periods and a when where are you okay and uh, they'll be led by a when Alstrom um, and really uh, I just heard about the water <laughs> situation it sort of reminded me I just flew in from Denver today and uh, two days ago I was with um, a friend uh, the whole time I was with her friend, but yesterday uh, she was just having a rough day and things kept going wrong and um, missed meetings and all kinds of things weren't working. And she told me that the day before, two days ago, she'd had like a, a perfect day. You know, she connected with everyone she needed to connect to and everything was really working and it was really great. And um, sometime yesterday when she was having such a rough day and we were together, uh, somebody pointed out that she has she has a big project upcoming and uh, she was trying to get the word out and somebody pointed out that she had like a giant typo in her in her uh, pamphlet that she was trying to hand out to all these people um, who could be very influential <laughs> with her project and and she was just devastated and I said hey it's a good thing you know like if this had happened yesterday, if you discovered this yesterday when you were having a perfect day, it would have ruined your day. <laughs> you know, today it's like another real challenge along the way, but probably not even the hardest. So uh, for some reason that popped up into my mind listening to John. And, um, and I'm sure, you know, many people are working on trying to uh, get us water, <laughs> which is a very essential thing. Um, and that is actually one of the remarkable things about this environment is that the goal of everybody uh, working here, the goal of all the participants really is, is to be supportive, to try to help um, create an environment where one is only moving toward greater and greater awareness and greater and greater compassion and there's nothing else you need to do hopefully. And so um, really that's why one comes on retreat. You know, sometimes um, 
people have the impression, well, if I go on a retreat, it's something of a dogmatic exercise. It's philosophical. It's about learning about Buddhism, or it's about maybe even an insistence on becoming a Buddhist or, or something like that. But really, it has nothing to do with any of that. Uh, instead, the, the retreat environment is designed so that we can immerse ourselves in practice, so that we don't need to carry the burdens of um, everyday life. We don't really have to be very busy. Uh, we can help one another as well as ourselves by going deep uh, within and paying more and more attention to our own experience. So when we first opened this center, uh, we moved in on Valentine's Day of 1976. And going back a bit, I first went to India to learn meditation in 1970 and did my first meditation retreat in January of 1971. And one of the very important statements that my first teacher said, important for me, was when he said, the Buddha did not teach Buddhism, the Buddha taught a way of life. And, and that really is like the cradle, it's the context that we enter a retreat um, in. You know, it's not about becoming something, you know, assuming an identity or rejecting anything else. It's not about a belief system. It is about trying to have as deep an experience of our own understanding as possible. It also is reflected in another statement by another one of my teachers um, who once said to me, the Buddha's enlightenment solved the Buddha's problem, now you solve yours. And, and that was really a great moment. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm not conveying that in exactly the tone in which he said it, but um, it was really a great moment because it felt like maybe for the first time in my life someone was actually looking at me as though to say, you can solve your problem. You can solve the problem of the, the confusion and the unhappiness that has brought you here to India to begin with. You can do that. So then when we first moved into this building, um, we really considered a lot of different possibilities. You know, should we have Buddha statues at all? Because after all, the Buddha did not teach Buddhism. The Buddha taught a way of life. And coming here is, is really a non-sectarian experience. It's not about a belief system. And yet, as you know, truth be told, um, Jack Cornfield, who was one of the co-founders, had been in the Peace Corps in Thailand. And he's like a great shopper. And he had like dozens of Buddha statues <laughs> in his mother's attic in Maryland. And, one day they started to arrive, you know? And so he said, oh yeah, you know? And, and of course it's a very beautiful thing too because um, the Buddha statue symbolizes something about what it means to be a human being, not so bound by the force of habit and craving and, and despair and, and anger and fear. What does it mean to be a human being um, whose life is based on clarity, on wisdom, on kindness and so on? So. Um, we, as you see, you know, have many Buddha statues around. And, um, and yet, I think it's important to understand the, the context of, of all of that. And uh, in Asian countries, often it's quite customary um, to bow to a Buddha statue, uh, but it's not compulsory, you know, it's not necessary in any way 
uh, for those who feel comfortable doing it, it is one way of expressing not a, a sort of um, slavish devotion, but it's like an act of recognition. Because when we look at a Buddhist statue, we're seeing something about ourselves. And that really is, um, that understanding is in some ways like the entryway to the retreat experience. That what we are seeing is a capacity. It's said that each of us has a capacity for not being so driven by habit, for uh, seeing more clearly the, under, the nature of our lives, to have deeper understanding, a capacity for freedom, a capacity for a more boundless love and compassion. And as a potential or a capacity, it said this is never ever destroyed. Whatever we may go through as a human being or maybe have gone through as a human being, as a capacity, it is there. And so uh, we come together in this kind of environment based on some like flicker of understanding and trust in that, that there is such a capacity. And what we're doing in the process of meditation is often returning to that, that capacity, that potential. We are cultivating it, nourishing it, nurturing it so that it can flower. Um, the word in Pali, the language of the original Buddhist text, that's usually translated as meditation is bhavana, B-H-A-V-A-N-A, uh, and a more literal translation of that word is cultivation. It's like creating the ground out of which something can emerge. So that's what we're doing. We're just, we're creating the ground. It's not the same, it's not the kind of grasping or acquisitive um, process where we feel like I don't have anything and if I can only get this thing, this experience, this triumph, whatever it is, and hold on to it, then I'll be a better person. It's not like that. We're just creating the ground so that all by itself, uh, very valuable and beautiful qualities can emerge. Another way of understanding that word bhavana comes from the Tibetan tradition where they, um, they use it in a way, uh, one translation of it would be something like getting used to it. And the idea behind that is that many of us, perhaps all of us, have touched that capacity, sometimes very deeply. Uh, we have an experience of profound connection, of opening, of balance, of clarity, but we may not trust it. We may disdain it. We may not remember it. Um, it's something a little bit foreign from our basic day-to-day -day life. And so we practice meditation as an act of getting used to it. Um, so it's very much in that sense. So uh, I think it's just helpful in beginning a retreat process to, to have that sense of not straining, you know, not feeling like, well, I've got how many hours do I have, you know, to perfect my wisdom or to love myself completely you know or, or whatever it is not that many hours actually um, you know and so to get away from that kind of strained mind state and more uh, to have that sense of adventure like you know we're um, going to cultivate some skills of concentration of mindfulness of loving kindness and compassion in the process, we will touch many places within ourselves. Um, and that fundamentally, we're just creating the ground. We're doing some, some acts of cultivation. 
um, nothing strained, nothing harsh, nothing judgmental. Um, so really, in, in a lot of ways, it is a very profound and, and fun adventure. Now, the fun is a little bit unusual fun. <laughs> I sometimes tell the story of um, many uh, years ago, uh, one of my Burmese meditation teachers, Saira Upandita, was here teaching, and um, Ramdas, who's a, a friend, uh, was here practicing. And um, Ramdas was about to leave his retreat, and uh, that day happened to fall upon the Buddha's birthday, which in this tradition is the full moon of May um, every year. And, and so uh, Upandita was living in next door. And, and so I said to Ramdas, well, let's go over there because uh, it's the Buddha's birthday. So we went over there, and, and it turned out that the, the celebration of the Buddha's birthday consisted of silently watching the monks eat and then watching them silently move away out of the room. So Ramdas looked at me, and he said, you Buddhists really know how to throw a party. <laughs> you know, so it's something like that. It's a different kind of fun. Um, but it's fun nonetheless, especially if one can have um, a kind of remembrance and, and confidence in, in certain basic principles. You know, we're not in a hurry. Uh, being impatient doesn't make things evolve any faster. Um, you don't have to worry about your experience. So many times we step out of a process so we can assess it and evaluate it and judge it which means we've stepped out of it, and we've added a lot of burden to our experience. Um, that it is like an adventure. Uh, we go through many kinds of terrain. There's no one thing it, you know. these days will resemble. You will go up and down and up and down, because everybody does. Um, it's all OK. And uh, quite fundamentally, what is important in meditation practice is not what comes up, but how we relate to what comes up, which means that you can't be doing it wrong. You can't have like the unthinkable, unforgivable experience. Maybe it's glorious, maybe it's tough, maybe it's just kind of ordinary and, and neutral and some kind of in-between place, but it's all okay. Because how we connect to what's going on, how we relate to it, how open we are, how present we are, how much compassion we have is the point. And so that really is um, like the underpinning of, of our process. So I think I'll turn things over to Gina for now. Um, and then we won't you know, have a very uh, long evening, because I'm sure many of you are quite tired. So I'd like to add, uh, can you hear me? <clears throat> so I'd like to add my welcome also and uh, say what a pleasure it is to see you all here. I see some familiar faces and some new faces that I don't know yet. So I'm happy to meet who I haven't met and happy to see who I have met. Could you tell me um, by just raising your hand how many of you are new to, are new to practice? And how many are new to IMS? Welcome. Great. So that was a pretty wonderful 
summary of, uh, of what we're about to do this weekend. And I'd like to um, just take you through a couple of uh, short rituals, having, Sharon having said that uh, this is not about becoming a Buddhist or becoming something other than who you are or having some belief in uh, something else other than what you believe in. It's none of that. However, there are ways in which we do uh, establish a community. And uh, in particular, this weekend, we just we have three days to do that. We have uh, basic ways of doing that. Um, and we call the refuges and the precepts. And it's essentially uh, taking refuge in what in all, all of the traditions of Buddhism are called uh, the Three Jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And when we take refuge in the Buddha, uh, we are referring to a historical uh, personage, a person who actually lived and walk on, walked on the earth. And yet it's something larger also, as Sharon was talking about, uh, it's really uh, our own potential to be awake, our own potential to realize those qualities of mind and heart of uh, one who is awake, uh, loving kindness and generosity and patience and all of those uh, qualities of, of heart that bring us peace. And taking refuge in the Dharma uh, is actually taking refuge in the way things are, the truth of things, the, the truth that we experience directly rather than an idea of uh, the way they are. And Sangha uh, is the, all of these are Pali words, uh, Sangha is, can be translated as community. Uh, and in a way, uh, Sangha is actually the lineage of all of the beings who have walked this particular path for the 2,500 years since the Buddha lived. Uh, it's also those uh, beings that are here with you and those that are practicing um, all over our earth. So we actually form community uh, that comes together for a short while and um, we break up after three days. But while we're here, it's helpful um, for us to feel that we are really taking refuge in a place that's safe. And so these five precepts are five basic precepts that lay people all over um, who follow this path or a similar path uh, take as um, a way of all of us feeling safe being with each other. And so I think you all have, um, you all have these sheets. If you don't, can you just put your hands up? John, could you just walk, maybe just walk around and if you could put your hand up, uh, maybe give it to someone else to help you with. I just need one.
So while he's handing them out, I'll just go through them. Um, the first is the undertaking training. And these precepts are really, uh, they can sometimes be taken as commandments, but it's not how it's uh, intended to be. It's actually, um, it, as you see from the language, it's an undertaking of a training. So the first is the undertaking of the training to refrain from harming any living being. And uh, what you'll find is that we live in this beautiful environment uh, that, that we call IMS. It's several hundred acres of woods and walking paths. And so there are a lot of creatures that, uh, that live on the land with us. And so there, there are birds and, and wild four-legged creatures and insects and uh, all sorts of living beings. And this, this precept, this undertaking of a training to refrain from harming any being is really, really refers to all of those, uh, those creatures. So that we're um, seeing what it's like to actually have a, have a heart that is open to the being, all of the beings that we live with and respecting that life. And you'll find that because IMS has been here for 32 years with people actually undertaking this training, you'll find I, I've been on retreat here for um, long periods of time uh, in the winter. And uh, I walk to the pond and actually because uh, the creatures on the land actually feel this long history of people not harming that if you put your hand out with some uh, seeds, that the birds actually land on it. And this, the, the, um, the squirrels and the chipmunks will come up and actually take food from you so that the, the animals actually feel it. And I also do, a re do retreats at Spirit Rock in California, and I have exactly the same experience. The deer come and lie down you know, on the paths and uh, the turkeys cross by and look at us uh, curiously. So uh, what begins to happen is uh, from our willingness to respect the life of every being, uh, they feel it just as, just as in our hearts, uh, that kind of love and that kind of respect actually begins to dawn and illuminate all of, all of us. The second is to undertake the training to refrain from taking what has not been offered. Again, um, I found, as you may note, you may may have noticed in your rooms, there are no locks on the doors, and there is a a wonderful feeling of safety and freedom that happens when we live in a community where um, we know that if we leave something uh, somewhere, that either will return and it will still be there. Or if we go into the office, someone will have returned it or put it up on the board. So there's a, there's a wonderful feeling of safety that we all create for each other when we undertake this training not to take uh, what has not been offered. It's a training that actually um, begins to train our hearts to respect the resources in the world and to not uh, overuse them. I undertake the training to refrain from acting out 
second, this is this is new uh, new language that I haven't seen. Undertake the training to abstain from sexual activity that causes harm. Uh, in a retreat setting, especially, we just we undertake the training actually to abstain from any kind of sexual activity. And again, that actually helps us all to feel um, relaxed and safe. And it's not so much that we think that sexual activity is not um, is not wholesome, but that we respect that sexual activity, that sexual energy, which is which can be quite powerful, and as we all know, can be used for harm or for good to express love. So the undertaking of this um, this precept in our uh, in our setting as a um, celibacy is again um, part of the establishment of safety and also helps you to concentrate on uh, on the mind. The undertaking the training to refrain from false speech of course we're undertaking uh, a vow of silence for this uh, this entire weekend and uh, just a just a few words about silence. The work that Sharon was talking about uh, is really incredibly powerful and sacred work. Uh, the silence is a full support of uh, the work that we'll be doing this weekend. The energy that we use for speaking can uh, be very uh, distracting and you may notice that as soon as you have to open your mouth a personality gets presented. It's a great relief uh, when we when we work in silence to actually uh, be able to focus inwardly rather than uh, focusing outwardly. So this um, this undertaking of silence is a quite precious um, part of the retreat and so it's helpful not only to be to undertake this this precept of silence but also to undertake uh, just a, a the a training to refrain from interacting as much as you can with um, the other participants because in that way we all really establish our own solitude and solitariness which allows us in this deep and beautiful silence to, uh, to accomplish the work that we're doing. So again, this uh, willingness to, uh, to enter into the silence is not only a support for your own work, but it's also a support for the work of everyone else here. So know that your silence supports yourself and your own practice but it also supports the community in its, in its practice. And I undertake the training to abstain from using substances that cloud the mind-heart. Again, uh, much of the practice is really beginning to see as clearly as we can what is, um, what is here in this moment, the experience that we are presented with to really see it as clearly as possible. And so, um, the, the refraining from taking alcohol or drugs that, that cloud the mind uh, is, again, a support. 
And this, this doesn't mean that uh, if you have medications that you need to take that you should refrain from that, that that's perfectly fine. We're really talking about voluntary, um, voluntary uh, substances. So um, what we like to do is to chant it, the, the refuges and the precepts in Pali. And uh, I think what we could do is uh, after each of the precepts in Pali to actually say it in English so that we understand precisely what it is we're undertaking. And uh, what I'll do is I can start the I can start the refuges in Pali. We can do call and response for the first time, and as you see, that we do it three times. So we could do it together the, the second and third time, and we'll do it the same with the precepts. I'll do, we'll do call and response. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. We can do this together. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. Buddhang Sarananga Chami Dhammang Sarananga Chami Sangang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Together, Buddhang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Dhammang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Sangang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Dhammang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Sangang Sarananga Chami Panatipata Vairamani Sikapadang Samadhyami Together I undertake the training to refrain from harming any living being. Adina Dana Vairamani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from taking what has not been offered. Abramacharya Vairamani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from acting out my sexual energy. Musawada Vairamani 
Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from false speech. Sura Merya Majapamadatana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the training to abstain from using substances that cloud the mind heart. And then there's the last, if you come down to the last uh, line, Idang me silang Magapalanyanasa Pachayohotu May my conduct conduce to attainment of the highest fruits of liberation. So uh, what I'd like you to do is before we enter into the silence completely is to say hello to the people around you and I'll give you a few minutes to do this. Uh, we will we will be going into silence and going into that kind of solitude so it's really helpful to know who's with you and who you're practicing with and so when somebody steps on your cushion <laughs> or actually sits on your cushion and you come into the hall and you see somebody sitting on your cushion you'll think oh that's just john right <laughs> so if you could just say hello to the people around you that would be really good That was pretty restrained. <laughs> so I know you've all spent um, you know, time and energy actually putting your stuff together so that you can get here, so we're not going to um, keep you long. Uh, just a couple of words about the yoga. Uh, Eowyn, uh, do you want to just say something, Eowyn, about uh, what it will be like? Thank you. 
and it will it's it's downstairs in the yoga room have you been told where it is it's downstairs in the yoga room and and in the lower walking room, so which is just down the stairs, and if you go down, you'll see what it is. And and what we'll what we'll do is um, there'll be two yoga periods um, at eleven and four, and of course you're not compelled to do yoga if you don't want to do yoga. That's perfectly fine. You can um, use it as a walking period instead. And um, why don't we say that this side of the room will do the morning and this side of the room will do the afternoon so that um, there's enough space for everyone. And uh, if you have a job that conflicts with the one that we've just assigned you to, feel free to just go to the other one if, if you really want to do yoga. Okay? Any questions about that? Yes. Yes, there's a there's a yoga room right next to as you walk out of the hall, uh, if you the the room on the left, right next to the cloakroom. There's a there's a yoga room. Okay. So we both wish you um, great fruits of your practice this weekend, and um, <coughs> we look forward to to being with you. So. Uh, to end the evening, we'll just uh, do a short sit. So as Sharon said, we're not trying to make anything happen. We're not trying to uh, become anything, do anything, but actually simply receive our experience with peace. So if you would simply notice that you're sitting here and allow the mind and body to arrive molecule by molecule. might be helpful to take a couple of deep breaths. And just notice that this body is here. It's arrived here. And so we can let go of all that we needed to do to allow the body to arrive here. And if we can, let go of any anticipation of what may or may not happen in the next moment or for the whole weekend. And simply allow the molecules to arrive. And just notice that as the body is sitting here, it is hearing. There are sounds in the room, outside the room, in your own body. Just pay attention for a moment to those sounds, letting them come and go. And seeing, again, if we can receive the experience of hearing without adding anything 
simply letting it come and letting it go. Just notice whether your eyes are tight, allowing the eyeballs to simply rest in the sockets. Allow the scalp to relax around the cranium. Allow the cheekbones to relax, jaw, mouth. Let the tongue sit on the floor of the mouth. Relaxing shoulders. Let your spine be erect without being stiff or stretched or tense. Let your weight rest completely on your cushion or your chair or your bench. And much of the time we spend in readiness for the next action. See if you can actually allow the body to settle back and be firmly and completely supported by our seat. And let the attention simply come to the breath. Just noticing the passing sensations as the breath moves in and out of the body. Just letting those sensations come into awareness from the beginning of the breath until its end. letting any thoughts or emotions that are arising simply come and go in the same way that we let sounds arise and pass away. In the same way that the breath arises and passes away, allow those thoughts and emotions to simply come and go, receiving them with some peace.
not adding anything. while simply being aware of these sensations that are coming and going with the breath. While you're aware of the breath, see if you're also aware of any tension anywhere in the body and see if you can soften where there is tension.
so in these days that we have allow this delicious silence and this uh, opportunity to slow down and be with your heart and mind and body really permeate you allow yourself to absorb into this community that we've built that we're building together uh, tomorrow our wake up will be at 6:30 and there'll be a schedule uh, posted on the on the board and the schedule will change uh, on Sunday so um, just the schedule that will be posted will just be for tomorrow uh, and don't worry it will it's all here for you there's lots of support and um, there's nothing that you need to do but to actually be here and uh, participate in the practice so that all else is taken care of and it's a great relief and and wonder in this world of rushing and um, speed that there are places like IMS that we can come to and actually allow ourselves to bathe in this kind of um, beautiful peace and serenity and quiet. So enjoy it thoroughly and have a good night's sleep. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.